Hello and welcome to Figuring Out Forever. This is Shannon, the host of your podcast. So glad to see you back Um, and welcome. This is episode 33. Episode 33. It is February of 2023. Can you believe that we are in 2023? Crazy. So it's February and today is February 5th. Yesterday was February 4th. It was my grandmother's 94th birthday, her first birthday in heaven. So I'm sure she's celebrating all things well up there. I can't imagine what the parties in heaven must be like. Amazing. So as I was thinking about this podcast, um, and I'm recovering from COVID, um, 2023 COVID started it was it's COVID-19 it was came out in 2019 and it's still around and I'm assuming it's going to be like the flu um I was down for like two days I got the COVID shot of course like everybody did back in what was that 2020 2021 and I got a booster but I hadn't gotten a booster in 2022 so guess who's gonna get a booster after I'm like completely out of whatever the timeline is with this because it definitely knocked me down. Like, that COVID stuff ain't no joke. Like, you, woof. And my smell and taste are gone. And right now I'm smelling like metal. So, uh, to that. But um, all is well. If you're just not joining us for the first time, thank you. I am Shannon Johnson. Thanks for joining. Please like and share. Uh, I am a 44-year-old wife, mom, school teacher, of course, daughter, um, singer. Like, I love singing. Um, and, and you know, so we just go here and we talk and we share. And so glad to have you here. And so I think for the month of February, because this podcast is really just me sharing my heart, I really want to talk about black history. So I'm going to give you a background um, on me and my family dynamics. If you've listened to the podcast or, and I feel like at this point, most of the people who listen to the podcast know me, but I am an African-American woman. I'm sure you can hear it by my voice. Don't tell me there's, you can't tell. Uh, you can. I'm a music teacher. I've studied, uh, tone, timber, vocal pedagogy. You could definitely most likely most of the time tell, um, the race of an African-American person by the tone of our voice and sometimes the dialect. I live um, in the Northeast now. I live in Maryland, um, but grew up in Delaware because my dad was in the military. But both of my parents are born and raised from Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm definitely a Southern female. My roots are Southern. My traditions are Southern. My food palate is Southern. That's just me. It is who I am. And so growing up, um, even though growing up in the Northeast, I traveled, we traveled to Nashville a lot. And so I have always been very, very familiar with black history and not just the the black history that you see on TV or that you read about in the history books, but truly I can say like my parents marched, um, my father was jailed three times, my grandparents um, participated in marches and movements and sit-ins and Nashville hopefully and we're going to get into this more Nashville was very pivotal in the civil rights movements along with the sit-ins um uh, John Lewis was a family friend of ours not me but like my my grandmother and her family knew him uh Dr. King was definitely always in the south I knew a lot of people that knew him. I met um, Dr. Ralph Abernathy as um, I was in fifth grade when I met him. I never forget that story. But today I'm going to be sharing a story that I often heard my mother, my grandmother, my dad, 
um, and my aunts tell about something that happened in the neighborhood called Haynes Manor in Nashville, Tennessee. And so um, this is not anything that you'll probably find in a um, history book, but this stuff is like so real and it's what our people and what our families have endured. So let me give you um, some backstory on this. So Haynes Manor is a neighborhood in Nashville, Tennessee, East Nashville, Um, And to this day, mostly African-American neighborhood. Now, especially down south, in those times, you you had very segregated. Of course, the schools are segregated. So most of the time, the neighborhoods were segregated. My dad said the projects were segregated. You had the white projects, you had the black projects. So we're going to talk about that stuff later. But um, so what happened was my grandparents, my maternal grandparents and my paternal grandparents lived across the street from each other. My paternal grandparents actually built their house first and then um, my grandfather got sick and passed away. So my grandmother was left there with her kids who were my aunt and uncle. And then um, my father and his older siblings were out of the house. They were like grown and living their life. And so then my maternal grandparents bought a house across the street. Now, um, my maternal grandparents owned a store in Nashville, Tennessee called J and D market. Now this was on Jefferson street. Jefferson street was hailed as the African American highway in the fifties and sixties, because at that time it had more black owned businesses and more black colleges down that stretch of Jefferson street in Nashville than any other street in the high in the country. You had Meharry medical college, which was at the time, one of, I believe two medical schools. Um, my grandfather, Arvo Williams went to Meharry medical school. You had Tennessee state and you had Fisk university. Tennessee state is a public HBCU, um, really big school now credited for, um, like Wilma Rudolph, um, a lot of a lot of athletes. I know my dad said at one point they had like one of the best um, HBCU basketball teams. And then you have Fisk University, which is a private school. Now, I am a music teacher, so the Fisk Jubilee Singers were um, world, or still, I believe to this day, world renowned. I know recently Fisk has got some notoriety because they have the first African American um, female gymnastics team. You also had a lot of thinkers, a lot of innovators, and I'm going to research more into that, who went to Fisk University. And so Fisk has always been known as um, cranking out like bright people, intelligent people, like innovative thinkers, thought, you know, people. And so a lot of the sit-ins were organized at Fisk University. And so we're going to talk about that. But back to Haynes Manor, back to my family. So my grandfather, um, Johnny C. Johnson had an eighth grade education. Okay. And his family was from South Carolina. And I don't know how my grandfather ended up in Nashville. I wish I would have asked my mom or my grandmother when they were alive. I recently lost my mother and my grandmother. And so I'm the only child of an only child. So I feel like it's time for me to share a lot of these stories so they don't get lost. So I don't know how he ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, but some kind of way he ended up there. Um, and he and my grandmother purchased the store. Now it's even some back history with that store. So the store was on Jefferson street. And so my grandmother told me that it was a Jewish man who owned the store. And so at the time of segregation, when black people were getting sick and tired of being sick and tired, um, it was one of two things. They would start boycotting the stores or they would go in there um, or stand outside and it was making especially white people uncomfortable because you're in a black neighborhood, you have a white owned store and 
you know, they're getting uncomfortable. So my grandfather had approached him before about buying the store from him. And the Jewish man said no. And so my grandfather approached him again because, you know, now listen, this is when black people were waking up realizing like, I can own property. I can own stuff. So this was in the 60s, right? So we're, we're understanding that even though the banks aren't, aren't wanting to finance us, we can own stuff. And so my grandparents at the time had good credit. They had purchased a home, American Dream, which again, down south, um, that wasn't happening for everybody there. Purchased a home. Um, and so they decided they wanted to, to try their hand at being an entrepreneur. And so my grandmother said that when they went to get um, bank funding, the banks would not fund them at first. And so the Jewish guy said that basically he would sublease the store to my grandfather until he had even more money for the down payment to purchase the store. So for the first few years, my grandmother said that it was actually the man's store and they were like subleasing it, but they named it J and D market. Okay. And so it was on Jefferson street. I remember the store vividly. Um, 40, that's the interstate, ran like right past it. The building, the structure is still there. It's a car lot, I believe now. It's been a couple of things. But anyway, they had a store. So that puts them definitely in like uh, middle class, upper middle class, black America. My mom, they had purchased my mom a car when she was 16. And they lived in a great neighborhood. My um, paternal grandmother was a teacher. You know, like in the, my uncle lived in that neighborhood. It was working class black Americans. And so at that point, when you wanted to show that you had arrived or something like that, then you would hire um, a white maid. Y'all got to understand their, their thought process. It was for years, uh, for 246 years to be exact, we worked for free for you all. Like we worked for free. So now if I get a maid, I'm not going to get a black maid. Although when you look at it, it's like, keep the money in your own community. It was a thing of status. Um, like I'm going to get a white maid. So my grandmother got a white maid and she and the white maid, um, got along well, you know, I'm assuming like they, uh, they were cool, um, exchanged pleasantries and the lady liked my grandmother. Um, and I'll talk more about that family, the Phillips family more. I'm, you know, I'm sharing, uh, what I know of black history in regards to my family. So the lady, um, her husband worked at the rock quarry. Now the rock quarry outside of Nashville, all around Tennessee, there's rock quarries. That's where they go mining rocks for building highway structures, things like that. So my grandmother and the lady were cool when the lady worked at the rock quarry. And so she was like, Listen, Miss Della, I need you to know something. They're going to come through here and they're bombing the rock quarry. And my grandmother was like, what? Okay, so let me tell you what was going on. Again, this was the 60s. So my grandmother said, and my mother, it was very common for middle-class black neighborhoods that were popping up down south to be the targets of bomb and hate crimes because you had the poorer white people who were mad that you had black people buying houses, owning businesses, being successful, especially down south. That was not the vision that they had for us. And so, of course, my grandmother gets on the phone. She calls my grandfather down at the store right off of Jefferson Street. And so 
My grandfather says, I'm coming home. Now, remember, y'all, this is before social media. It wasn't no mass text. It wasn't no Facebook groups, no Facebook chats. They get out. And Haynes Vanner is still, to this day, a very nice-sized neighborhood. They get out. My grandfather um, notifies as many men in the neighborhood. Because contrary to what the media might tell you, black families, especially in the 60s, there was always male representation. The man was in the house, okay? This was before they came through locking up black people for smoking weed um you know because nowadays it's different than that okay and this is not a black or white thing but it's the truth a white person can be on all types of drugs and he gets therapy but black people had um an ounce of weed and they were locked up for years you know that's a targeted assault on the black family but we'll talk about that later my grandfather gets on the phone calls the men every man had guns plural okay I mean, guns. I re- I grew up with guns. I've seen guns. So he gets out and um, he notifies all the men in the neighborhood. Now, let's say like my um, paternal grandmother, she didn't have a man in the house because my grandfather had died. She was a widow. There was a man that was assigned to that house. So let me tell you what happened. <coughs> Excuse me, y'all. I told you I'm getting over COVID. So my mom said that... Um, they typically would come bomb the houses at sundown, so right when the sun was going down. So my uncle um, lived on Boatner on Haynes Manor, and so my mom said that was more like they knew they were going to come in from, like, the entrance. Um, my family lived on Vanderhorst, um, but they knew they would come in, like, one of the entrances. And so my grandfather reached out to his brother-in-law. Every house had a man. My mom said they told him turn the lights off, go in the back of the houses. Now, most of these houses um, were one-story houses. You had a couple of uh, what we would call split levels, but most of them were one-story. So the women and the kids to go in the back. Perched on the top of every single house was a man, a man with a gun. And so the man's job was simply to defend his own house. That's all he had to do was defend his own house. And so my mom said it was a few hours. And the lady had told them the day that they were coming and everything. And so my mom said it was scary because, you know, they were sitting in the back of the house in the dark waiting. Like, and you have your family member, whether it's your husband, your dad, your brother, your uncle, somebody on top of the house is waiting because this is going to go down. And so my mom said they they sat there for a few for a few hours. Most of the kids went to sleep, but the men stayed up because they knew that they had worked their entire lives to provide this type of life for their family to live in this neighborhood. And it was community. Everybody knew everybody. And so my grandfather said they heard a caravan of cars turning into the neighborhood and they knew what they were going to do. My grandfather had told them when the very first car hits that street and you see it, and it was very obvious because some people say, well, how did they know what it was? They said it was obvious it was going to be a caravan with no lights. And so imagine living in that time when you already are on the lookout, but when you see a caravan of cars with no lights, you know that they're coming to do harm. So the caravan hits it. And so the very first house sends off the first shot. And my my grandmother said the shot went in the air. It wasn't directly to impact anybody, but it the very first shot went out and they said it sounded like a war zone. Every man on every roof unloaded. Every man. And so understand, this is hundreds of homes. And so my mom said, you heard the screech. You heard the, the first car coming in the caravan and turn around, screech. 
go back out of the neighborhood. Um, and not one house in Haynes Manor was harmed because they were prepared. Now, she said, unfortunately, um, there was another neighborhood that was unprepared where they um, went in and they would do like pipe bombs and bombed some houses in that neighborhood. But that night in Haynes Manor, their neighborhood was saved. I don't know the year of this. Like I said, unfortunately, this past year, I lost my mother and my grandmother. Um, And then my aunt, who would have known, she passed away a few months ago as well. So I understand the importance of sharing our stories, our family stories, keeping this alive, you know, making sure my kids know it in generations on generations, because it wasn't that long ago, but it was simply the the fight and the tenacity to keep what was theirs, you know, because in my grandfather's mind, I'm a business owner. If you tear up my home, you'll tear up my business. We have fought and built this entire country. When I say we, our ancestors for free, and then for you to have the audacity to come in here and take what is rightfully ours, Simply because you're jealous that even though we did not get the 40 acres and the mule, that we're still learning how to live something like the American dream and working hard to create our own level and lane of success. What you will not do is come through here. And so this month, I'm just going to be sharing this stuff because, you know, I think a lot of times, especially in this generation, our kids see celebrities and athletes and feel like they've arrived and that's the American dream. But I look at my, you know, I've, so I've been blessed. I'll tell you a lot about my, my family story. When I say grandmother and grandfather, I was blessed. I have, I was blessed to have three grandmothers and three grandfathers, um, step-grandmother, step-grandfather. I'll never say step and you'll never know which one because all three of them um, were my grandmothers and all three were my grandfathers. And I was very fortunate to grow up in a family like that. But when I look just alone (coughs) at my grandmothers, all right? One of my grandmothers graduated college and was a educator. One of my grandmothers got to college but did not graduate And another grandmother didn't even go to college, all right? And so they all had three different levels of success. I look at my grandfathers. One of my grandfathers graduated college, went to medical school, didn't graduate medical school. One of my grandfathers graduated high school and one had an eighth grade education. But they were all successful because the American dream was achieved by all of them. They were all homeowners, all all of them. You know, they all were there for their kids, raised their kids. And so in their mind, you think you're going to come in here and take what I got? Because that's real success. Surviving in those days was absolutely tremendously success. So I wanted to share that story about Haynes Manor. Um, Listen, like, comment, share. If you're from Nashville, Tennessee, if your family's from Nashville, um, you've possibly heard about that story. Um, It's definitely one that's been passed down in my lineage, in my family. And so I'm keeping this stuff alive. Listen, this is why I encourage you. We as black people, please share stories like this with your kids. They need to know because, you know, as imperative as Rosa Parks and Dr. King were, you had heroes in your own family. You had heroes there on your own street. The first person to work in the post office, that's a hero. The first person to work at the uh, Sears Roebuck, that's a hero. The the first person to, uh, you know, 
go and sit at the counter of the Woolworths. That's a hero. We need to start sharing these um, stories with our kids so they know what we've overcome. The first person in your family to graduate high school, that's a hero. The first person to walk into an integrated school and graduate, that's a hero. So we need to start sharing these stories. You know, don't leave it up to TV and TikTok and social media to share, but look at your own family lineage and share about the greatness in your own family and let our kids know that that's what greatness looks like and that's what heroes look like and that's how you overcome and that's the American dream, you know? When you think about the fact that my um, one of my grandfathers was able to even enter into medical school at a time when there were less than 2,000 black doctors in this country, that's success right there. You know, um, those stories right there, you know, my grandmother being a public school teacher when at the time it was darn near impossible for black people to graduate from from college, you know, the fact that my great grandmother was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, you know, which was founded in 1908. And she joined like in the 1920s, again, in the South, this stuff was uncommon. So start sharing these stories with people, start sharing these stories with your kids, write them down, record them, let us know. (coughs) So anyway, That's my story today. I got a lot of black history stories. And so what better time than February, March, April, May, and June to share this? Because the way critical race theory is being attacked, which it's not all that they say it is, or the way that um, our history is being erased, not taught, disregarded, bombarded, looked over, bamboozled and hid in a corner. We better start sharing our own stories. We better start celebrating the first black um, garbage worker in your local towns. We better start letting our kids know what it looks like to really overcome and celebrating our own history. So that's it. That's my black history story for today. I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you're finding a reason to smile and I hope that you're reading. Um, Cause you know, there was a saying that said, if you, if you, want to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. And that's sad because we really need to read our own history. We need to evaluate and we definitely need to investigate and figure out stuff for ourselves. So I hope you're having a fabulous day. I hope you know that God thinks you are absolutely amazing and to die for. I hope you put a beautiful smile on that face. And thanks for listening to this podcast. Please, please, please like, share, comment. Let me know what you think and have an amazing day. If God had to do this all over for you, he would do it all over for you because he thinks you are to die for. So find a reason to get up, find a reason to smile, find a reason to keep going and find a reason to win. Have a great day in between now and every other day. Keep figuring out forever. Bye-bye.